It's Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022, and this is KBIA's Views of the News. Our weekly roundtable on media behaviors comes to you from the Futures Lab studio at the Reynolds Journalism Institute. I'm Amy Simons, and here with me are my colleagues, Kathy Kiley and Ernest Perry. On our program this week, a last-minute rewrite on President Biden's first State of the Union address. There's a new boss at CNN, one of the creators of MSNBC's Morning Joe and current showrunner of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And the andscape. We'll talk about what's behind ESPN's rebranding of The Undefeated. But we're going to start with Russia's invasion of Ukraine now in its seventh day. And I want to focus our conversation today primarily on the coverage we've seen so far. Some of it has been truly commendable. Some of it hasn't been. Take this live shot on CBS, for example. The voice that you're about to hear is reporter Charlie Diagata reporting from Kyiv. Now with the Russians marching in, it's changed uh, the calculus entirely. Uh, tens of thousands of people have tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. People are hiding out in bomb shelters. But this isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. Those words not chosen very carefully, or if they were, completely disregarded the fact that what he was ultimately doing was providing a Eurocentric view. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you just the word civilized alone kind of makes you cringe uh, a little bit because uh, you're basically saying that uh, what was, you know, what 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 the residents or what the, the, the population in and say in Baghdad or, or or in one of the other Middle Eastern countries in those conflicts Which were of not civilized. The cradle of Western the cradle yeah, civilization. Yeah, absolutely, yes, right. yeah, yeah. So I mean that you know, again, it's that I'm talking off the cuff that gets you into trouble uh, instead of of what we have seen in a lot of the journalism, which is let the let the 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 experiences of the people in those cities tell the story as opposed to the reporters trying to to sort of describe uh and that's where i think the the coverage has been commendable when you when, when the reporters basically are there doing their jobs and and actually showing and allowing people to talk about what their experiences are i think that's where the coverage has been commendable yeah, I mean, uh, certainly uh, there are a lot of people putting themselves in really grave danger. Um, this is a very unpredictable situation. Um, there's not going to be any safe zone uh, for reporters. It's not like Afghanistan even, which was harrowing enough, where you had a really large U.S. military presence there up until the very end. Um, it's a very asymmetrical uh, situation for the people on the ground in Kiev. So anybody who is in uh, the Ukraine, uh, including our colleagues, the reporters, are, uh, they're at grave risk. So just to be there and uh, be on the ground and letting people know what's going on, uh, it's very important and it's very, very dangerous. 
One of the things, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. What I was going to say too, and there are going to be some examples that we'll be adding to our links blog, some of our former students and some of the connections mm -hmm. as well. Uliana Pavlova, who uh, was one of my former students, has been working and freelancing on behalf of uh, different organizations there. She, upon graduation from both our bachelor's and master's degrees mm -hmm. uh, programs here, um, it, she's a Russian citizen and ended up going back to Russia after graduation. And she is one of the reporters and producers who has been out there as well. So we'll share some of her work. You were about to say as well. Though, no, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, when you when you sort of look at the coverage, mm -hmm. what you what you see, I think Kathy is, is is correct in saying that, you know, the the reporters and, and the photographers and the, and the videographers that are on the ground are doing exceptional work. There is no embedding. Mm -hmm. Because they they're not embedded. There's with no the, one with whom to embed. Right, yet, really. right. And the, the Russians definitely don't want them right. embedded there. Uh, and and the, and the Ukraine army is 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 basically fighting uh, almost a guerrilla type of, of 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 fight against against the Russians. So the reporters on the ground are are having to. Cover it where they can, and 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 move around as 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 best they can, and but what you're also seeing is the strength of CNN, the strength of BBC, the strength of the organizations that are really equipped and have experience in covering the uh, these kinds of incidents, um, and that's where you're getting probably the best and most accurate information. Uh, what they're fighting against, and I think what all of us are fighting against, is the disinformation and the misinformation that's coming from Russia, that's coming from from Russia, those who support what what Russia is doing. But then it's also coming from from those who are just you know sitting behind, almost like sitting behind desks like we are, yeah. uh, and and basically you know saying all sorts of stuff that aren't based in fact. So there are a couple of different issues I wanted to talk about here. We'll take them out of order and go straight to that idea right now of the misinformation and disinformation, especially coming from Russia. And right now there are efforts underway, especially in Europe, to limit the delivery channels of RT, of Russia Today, and of Sputnik, some of those state-run Russian media organizations um, that are putting disinformation out there. Yeah, this is a really tough situation, and I was uh, listening in actually to a conference early this morning because it was early afternoon London time, and that's where this conference was, uh, that featured a, an independent Russian journalist who works for uh, Bellingcat, which is one of the um, sort of citizen-run organizations that uh, – that checks disinformation. It's a very highly regarded organization. A lot of journalism organizations partner with Bellingcat. Uh, and this journalist was asked about the same thing. And he said something that I agree with, which is, uh, you know, the people who watch RT and Sputnik or listen to Sputnik are, um, they, they know what they're getting into. And by barring them, Western uh, governments really are just giving Putin an excuse to do the same thing to the BBC and to Voice of America and to Deutsche Welle and uh, France 24. So I'm not sure that it really does that much. I, I personally think the answer to that sort of thing is not uh, censorship, it's better education. And of course, uh, we've worked here at the University yeah. of Missouri to uh, to spread that. It's it's very tough because there's no question these are propaganda outlets of the of the Russian government. Uh, Is but, there time in this situation to provide that better education to combat that? 
Well, I, I'm thinking about like <clears throat> as this attack is going on in the last seven days, as you know, Putin is putting in this this message that they're there to help the Ukrainian people, and it's this humanitarian mission. Well, is there, I think is there time for the education? I think the while journalism that has been pretty effective okay. debunking that. I mean, you we are seeing live on television. Uh, Ukrainians saying, no, we, we don't want to be part of Russia, thank you very much, mm -hmm. and we are prepared to fight to the end to not be part of Russia. So to me, the journalism is an education. And I understand why governments want to do this. It is a horrible, um, it is a horrible, uh, insidious thing, but I think, uh, I think censorship begets censorship, and that's what worries me. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, I, I, I agree. I think the journalism uh, that is that's being done is is pretty effective in debunking a lot of the misinformation and disinformation, especially uh, when you when you if you're there on the ground in Europe mm -hmm. and you're starting to pay attention to what's going on, and if you go to the the, the trusted news sites, you're going to see a lot of 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 accurate information coming out about exactly what's going on. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to hear the disinformation, but it is being countered in a way that's very effective. Something being done on social media platforms, a uh, decision made by Google with YouTube to demonetize videos, leaving them up, but not giving the Russian government basically the ability to profit off of that mm -hmm. content or still letting tweets go by or Facebook posts, but labeling this is this is messaging coming directly from an account controlled by the Russian government. Mm -hmm. How does that one sit with you, Kathy? Well, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different approach. Yeah, it's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. um, I actually think that the private um, online platforms have, you know, I have always felt that they have not taken the responsibility they should as publishers. Uh, to make sure that what they publish is true and accurate. Um, and I think if you're a private platform, I know Donald Trump doesn't agree with this, but if you are a private platform like Twitter or Google or Facebook, you know, we all have a right to free speech, mm -hmm. but we don't have a right to worldwide publication on the internet. And I think the people who operate those platforms have a responsibility to make sure that what they're publishing is accurate. That means they're going to have to spend money hiring reporters and editors. But I think that's what it's going to take to really clean up the disinformation, is for the private operators who are making money off of this to decide, I'm not willing to make money off of disinformation that is undermining a democratic government. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I also, I, you know, I also, you know, we talk about this all the time, also deal with reality. And the reality of the situation is they are making money and that money is driving what they do. It in situations like this, it is not profitable for them to allow this to basically go on and not figure out some sort of way to counter it by putting up you know, that this is coming from the Russian government or this is misinformation or disinformation. But in other instances, it is profitable to Google and, and Meta and others to allow this to go on because they're making money. They're still getting the pages. They're still, they're they're still they're, serving exactly, the videos. Exactly. They're still getting data that they're collecting from people watching it and profiting. Right. Off absolutely. Of that. And they're, they're so they're the ones that are now profiting off of the misinformation in the war. Absolutely. And 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 there's no government regulation because because the laws haven't kept up with what's happening in the social media space. 
television is is regulated to a certain extent because of the Communication Act. Uh, news newspapers know that they have to do certain things because they right. could wind up losing uh, uh, a lot of access uh, and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, a, a lot of what what makes them operate. But in the social media space, it's no, just that because there they yet. have an exemption from libel. Right. Right. So there's no incentive to police yourself, right. and that I think is the really big problem. I think it's easy to identify a propaganda outlet like RT or Sputnik. It's a lot harder when it's coming in on your Facebook feed or your Twitter or your you know, or somebody Instagram. somebody sending it to you in right. a, and, uh, a text. That's you know? where I think the really insidious um, disinformation is coming from because it's much harder to identify. Yeah. Right. Right. Or WhatsApp. Or WhatsApp. You know, how many exactly. times have we seen yeah. um, massive disinformation efforts through WhatsApp? One of the things that we were talking about a little bit ago, and it kind of made me chuckle in a way because I knew I wanted to get here, but you were saying that, you know, people are smart enough to watch more than one station and know and and identify Sputnik and RT for what it is. At the same time, we have what's going on here in the United States on Fox News, where Tucker Carlson has in a lot of ways become the Putin apologist in chief, and they have their own... uh, one of their own reporters, uh, Jennifer Griffin, who's one of their national security reporters, who is spending almost every single segment she's on having to correct the punditry that is being spouted on Fox News as she's sitting there listening to provide a report. Yeah, it's uh, I I don't get it. I do I do not know what the calculation is. I you know we talked about this a couple weeks ago with Josh Hawley. Um, I I don't know whether you think if you're being a contrarian. Um, you're going to get more publicity. Uh, but to think that uh, history is going to judge you well uh, for siding with a really brutal dictator who's, uh, whose brutality is live on TV 24-7 now, I, I, I'm, I just don't get it. Well, I mean, to me, it's one of those things. I mean, you're, you know, Tucker Carlson is talking to people in his echo chamber. And that's who he, that's who he's talking the people who show up for his show on a daily basis already fall into this category of of believing in autocrats and dictators and and those who want want to have they they, they this is who they champion and so it doesn't surprise me at all because what may be happening here is that in the 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 other person's show she's speaking to one audience but in Tucker Carlson, he's speaking to another, and they're both playing to their audiences, yeah, which well, is something that something that Fox News has has probably mastered more than any other organiza- uh, media organization on the planet is the ability to be able to know who you're talking to, speak to them, and be able to rally them uh, to whatever cause you have, and thus bring in the money. Yeah, well, we we've talked about this before. I think you, you you're on to something because. Um, and I think this is true for cable generally, uh, if you watch between the hours of about 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., it's kind of normal news, mm-hmm. no matter what, you know, it's reported that's right. news uh, that's being presented to you by actual reporters who are actually going out and talking to real people and primary sources. And then at the early morning and in the evenings, it's all just opinion. And, you know, this trend that you have identified with Fox really started, if you think about it, with Lou Dobbs. Mm -hmm. Lou Dobbs had a primetime show, and he just 
would go off the deep end about immigration. And I remember seeing people I knew who were Fox reporters being interviewed on his show, and he would say things like, well, don't you think this, you know, and try to back the reporters into into having an opinion. And it was just excruciating to watch these professional reporters uh, being tried, you know, ha- having to turn into trick ponies, uh, which most of them didn't, uh, f- for the benefit of lose rating. Right. Well, what I would say is this. When it comes to stories like the, the war in Ukraine right now between Ukrainians and, and Russians, when it comes to natural disasters, uh, when it comes to big mega stories, Fox falls out of its element because it doesn't have the resources and it's never committed the resources to effectively covering that. And the only, and one of the only ways it can stay relevant is to take an opposite view of what people are actually seeing and use that in its in its primetime coverage as a way to try to stay relevant because it doesn't have the resources to be able to really cover the story, these stories the way they that's need to be covered. Really, that's a really good point, especially because that's you talk why he's about the how... Dean. Yeah, yeah it's, that's what, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, especially because right now, that is when we are in our most dangerous point of the day in in Ukraine is during primetime television hours here. Mm-hmm. They don't have anything else to go to. Right. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, Anderson Cooper is on the ground and talking to a mother who's trying to nurse a baby in, in her basement and telling those stories. Yeah. Last night, President Joe Biden delivered his first official State of the Union address to Congress. And the situation in Ukraine really was the main topic. There, there was no question where he stands on this issue and what he wants our government to be doing about it. Well, in some ways, um, you know, Joe Biden has been really prescient on this issue. If you remember in his uh, inaugural address, he said, uh, we are in a war between autocracy and democracy. And uh, he certainly called it. Um, we're seeing it, you know, in a very naked way, I think, uh, in, in Ukraine. And um, and he was ahead of the curve uh, knowing what the Russians were going to do. And it was interesting, this uh, Russian journalist I heard this morning was speculating that um, Biden, by telegraphing Putin's decision, may have forced his hand a little early and um, forced the invasion to go a little early. And that may be one of the reasons they're they're not quite ready for prime time. Yeah. And I, I, to me, one of the things that I think Joe Biden having that experience, both as vice president and all those years in the Senate and understanding chairman the, of the foreign chairman relations, of foreign relations yeah. and understanding how intelligence works and when to pull particular levers and how to bring allies together. You saw it so you see it so clearly. I mean, now we're going to do these sanctions. We're going to do these sanctions. We're going to close off airspace. We're going to do this. He was getting pushback last week. I happened to be watching during a, uh, during his press conference, and he was getting pushback from reporters who were asking him, well, why haven't you gone after uh, the Russian accounts? Why haven't you kicked them off of SWIFT, which is the the, the, the electronic banking system? Right, like that, the credit card the, type the credit stuff, card, that sort of money thing. transfers. Because, and, and he was real forceful in saying, that's something that we may use later, but we're not going to do that now. We're not there yet. Our allies aren't there yet. But then you had France and Britain saying, well, well, yeah, we can do it right now. And he's like, no, 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 no. He is act- he's doing a very effective job in this. And it was difficult for the Republicans to fight him on it 
because he knows how to pull these levers. Uh, really, really smart in terms of this. And and last night, it, it clearly showed when he talked about what was going on with Ukraine, what's going on with the Russians, how we're dealing with it in the State of the Union. He's in a really delicate position. I mean, I think, uh, I think what a lot of people don't appreciate is, you know, everybody's afraid of triggering a nuclear war Absolutely. here. Absolutely. And the, um, and it, it does, it, you can trigger a nuclear war without sending U.S. troops in. I mean, I think that's one of his calculations, that if Putin gets too desperate, there aren't many things in Putin's arsenal. He doesn't have uh, financial sanctions or much he can hold over the West except nukes. And so I think it's a very dangerous time. It's still a dangerous time. Um, and I think um, Biden's walking a really difficult line, but he certainly has the background to run the table here. Yep. Okay. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. CNN has a new boss, and he's coming from late night. I hope everybody here understands that we are not news. We here at The Late Show watch the news like you do and have a reaction like you do. And my reaction to this weekend is that no one has covered the big story like the team over at CNN. Jim, put up that headline. Executive producer and showrunner of The Late Show, Chris Licht, has been selected as the next president of CNN. That, that, right there. Good photo, it's a good photo. That is what's called breaking news. Our own Chris Lick, right over there at that podium, is leaving this show to take over CNN. I trained the next president of CNN. Okay, so not exactly, but Chris Lick is the showrunner of The Colbert Show. Um, he has some news chops, though. He he came from MSNBC before being at CBS and The Late Show. He was basically the guy who created Morning Joe and, and having a morning program there that mixed some of that opinion, but also news as well. Yeah, and uh, he famously backed up uh, Mika Brzezinski when she famously uh, tore up the script when she was supposed to talk about Paris Hilton. So, um, you know, I think that gives you some sense that um, he's going to be for real news, not celebrity news. Uh, but it is, it's really, I thought that was a striking um, scenario there because you see a guy with his headset on, uh, sleeves rolled up, does not look like a C-suite type of guy. Oh, no. And, I mean, that, uh, the, the clip goes further where they're, like, yeah. making fun of the fact that he gets all of his shirts from, like, that online outlet untucked. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And uh, it is, it's it's quite a striking scene. But, um, and uh, I like Colbert's line when he says, now it's Col the Colbert News Network. But, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I think um, this will be really interesting to see. I mean, this is, he is jumping from, he definitely, as you said, he has news chops. And let's face it, as often as the satirists say, we're not news, um, they've hired a lot of people from the news business. Uh, most of these shows are pretty careful to make sure they don't make any uh, giant news mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
he is moving from a much smaller place to running a huge organization. Um, And that is going to be an enormous challenge. And it's everything that, you know, Ernest has just said. And really, this kind of thing is the big cable uh, network's finest hour. They've got boots to put on the ground. But this is a huge logistical challenge. So... Uh, good luck to him. It's going to be interesting to see how he handles the pressure of what to do when there's not a big story. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And how do you deal with the pressure of the ratings when it's it's all about what do you do in prime time? And and CNN has had its challenges there because you know you had you know you had the Cuomo incident and and, and that whole that whole thing, which basically drove him out and drove out uh, Zucker and, dro- and, and and all of that, then you still have to deal with what do you do with Anderson Cooper? What do you do with Don Lemon when they, for whatever reason, go off script? Mm-hmm. And they've, they've, they've done it and they're going to continue to do it. How do you deal with that? What are going to be the, uh, the, the the new shows? And you have a new owner in in, in Discovery who is looking to go in a different direction. They don't. They they have signaled that they are not interested in having these nightly battles with Fox. And he has indicated there are some early tea leaves that are showing that he's going to take this network and try to move it a little bit closer to center and move it a little bit to the right from where it has been and try to take some of the political uh, politicization out of it. That word's not coming out today. Yeah. But you, <laughs> yeah, that, that he's trying to, to make it more centrist. Well, I think, you know, Ernest, uh, Ernest wins the gold star today. He has made the best well, point of the program. <laughs> yes, I know. But, it, but the, the point that you made earlier about Fox and, and the point you're making here is CNN struggles when it doesn't have a big story, and that's when Fox does well because all of that opinion and what CNN did was was just try to become the mirror image of Fox, and that is what um, the new owners say they're going to push against. So we will see, but it is hard. Like opinion sells, hate sells. Are people going to be willing to watch straight news? This is a challenge for you, listeners and viewers. Yep. Yep. So before we go today, I want to talk about The Undefeated. When Kevin Merida left ESPN and The Undefeated for the LA Times, we knew that there were going to be some big changes coming for that digital publication. Monday, ESPN announced the full-on rebranding of the site, now called Andscape. Like landscape, but without the L. The old site was focused on the intersection of sports, race, and culture. So the plan now is to kind of sort of lose the sports and just be the race and the culture? Well, I don't know if it's exactly losing the sports, but they want to delve more into culture and 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 Hollywood and, and those types of things and not just center so much on how athletes intersect in that particular world. So they're talking about rebranding it and broadening yeah. those messages and using not just the ESPN platform, but other Disney platforms in, 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 in a way that will sort of bring all that together and really, really go after the Gen Z and the millennial uh, 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 generations to try to connect with them in the spaces that they're in and not just in the sports space. So maybe try to pull away a little bit from a site like The Shade Room? Yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. But we aren't sure which direction because here's the thing: 
you know, when when they started undefeated, they had they had the idea that they were going to do that intersection of race and sports and and culture. But then when the topics began, we got began to get really controversial. They sort when, of when they it, went from being something to talk about to the story, the story of the yes. generation. Right. And that it became a lot harder to exactly. do. And that's where that's where this becomes a problem for ESPN. Because it is a part of that Disney landscape, mm-hmm. uh, and whenever they try to do that, there's a certain segment of their audience, i.e., the couch sitting uh, ESPNers, who go like, "No, no, no, that's not what we're supposed to do." So that's where the issue comes into play. Yeah, yeah. Anscape leaves a lot of room for adding things, but I, <laughs> you know, but but it's also yes, and yeah, ambi- ambiguouscape, right? And so uh, and so, I just, uh, you know, I don't know that. What's the identity of that brand? Yeah, the that's, identity. That's going to be the real challenge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it had a clear one before. Yep. So I don't know. It, it to me, it didn't seem broke. So I don't know why we're fixing it. But <laughs> there you go. But I think you may have a good point about going for a younger audience. Okay. Well, we are pretty much out of time for this week. Thank you for spending the last half hour with us. You can read more about each of the topics we talked about today on our Links blog. You can find that under both the Programs and Podcast tabs at kbia.org. We are also available wherever you get your podcast downloads, including iTunes and Stitcher. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at views on KBIA. These are all great ways to watch and listen to our program again, leave comments, questions, and see what we'll be talking about next week. Our thanks to RJ Ives, Travis McMillan for directing the show, Aaron Hay for handling the audio, and Tim Pilcher for our original theme music. I'm Amy Simons. We'll be back with you next week.